It is truly, truly, truly wonderful for Kathy and I to be back. I mean, you do miss people. You do get used to seeing the family every week, and then when you don't, it changes. We did go to churches there. Um, just not the same, you know. It's not your church. Same Jesus. Amen. Well, I'm Pastor Dan, for those visitors that are here, and Welcome. <clears throat> title of my sermon this morning is, All It Took Is Just One Look. You know, I wanted to have a sermon that, that could be shared with unbelievers, because we all have them in our neighbors and, sadly, in our families. My text is the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. You'll find that in an insert that's printed and the text and the title and the outline for your easy reference. So follow with me as I read our text. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why would you bring us up out of Egypt to die? In the wilderness, for there is no food and no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And it shall be that everyone who is bitten when he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and put it on a pole, and so it was. If a serpent had bitten anyone, when he looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. Amen. This morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. You know, it is a very, very special blessing when one gets to witness a miracle. But may I say that every time you pick up a Bible, you're not only looking at a miracle, but you are holding a miracle in your very hands. And you're going to see this beautifully illustrated in one of the greatest pictures of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible. Now, the background of this chapter is as follows. Israel had wandered in the wilderness for 38 years, but God had pledged that he would bring them safely into the promised land. God had led them. God had fed them. But the children of Israel had gotten sick and tired of both the leading and the feeding. And they began to murmur and complain, not just against their leaders, but against the Lord. And therefore God sent a judgment upon them in the form of fiery serpents. But with the punishment came the pardon. And this is the magnificent truth that I want you to see this morning. So first, in your outline, consider the defiant sinners. Now, what did these people do that was so terrible that God sent judgment and fiery serpents? 
serpents to attack them, serpents to kill them. Well, first, they reviled God's person. Verse 5 tells us, and the people spoke against God. Now, you may get the idea that God is a little bit fickle, a little quick on the trigger, a little too sensitive. But I want to tell you, God is slow to anger. One thing these people knew how to do and knew how to do it well, and that was gripe and complain, because that is all they had been doing for 38 years. But up until now, they had simply spoken against their leaders. But now, we are told, they spoke against God. Can you imagine the audacity and the arrogance it takes for one puny human race who before God found them and God chose them and God saved them had become the very scourge of the earth as common slaves in the land of Egypt. Now they're daring to speak against God. Secondly, they repudiated God's promise. Here's what they said to God. Verse 5. Why have you brought us out of Egypt? To die in this wilderness? Now God had promised them that he would bring them to the promised land. They had his word for it. Yet they looked God straight in the eye and said impudently, arrogantly, blasphemously, we don't believe you. In effect, they called God a liar. Remember this. Every time you doubt the word of God, you discredit the worth of God. And then third, they renounce God's provision. To add insult to injury, they said, verse 5, For there is no food and no water, for our soul loathes this worthless bread. Now this bread was far from worthless. That bread, as you may know, was manna sent from heaven. And being bread sent from heaven, you should know that this is the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, who said in John 6.41, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Now think about it. While they were in the wilderness, this bread was not only their strength, their sustenance, it was their very salvation. For without it, they would have starved to death. Yet the one thing that gave them life, they renounced. So here was a people whom God had provided everything necessary to make them happy, healthy, and holy, and which should have been the sweet smell of God's goodness, had turned into a stench in their nostrils. So then secondly, considering your outline, the deadly serpents. And because of this rebellion, God sends judgment in the form of fiery serpents. Verse 6 states, So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people. And many of the people of Israel died. Well, first, these serpents were deserved. The serpent, as you know, is a symbol of sin. Satan had disguised himself as a serpent in the Garden of Eden. And throughout the Bible, the serpent is a symbol of sin, of evil, and of rebellion against God. And the disguise continues to this day. The world takes sin and redefines it, 
changes its look and alters its perspective. Just like a snake, as it grows, will shed its skin completely several times in its life. When that is done, what is left? It's still a snake and bigger. Secondly, these serpents were dreadful. They are called fiery serpents, and I believed they are called fieries because of the intense pain that they would inflict on their victims. They were more than likely Mid-Eastern vipers. The bite of a Mid-Eastern viper is immensely painful. Let me give you just six symptoms of a viper's bite. First, injection of venom initiates a fiery pain at the site of the bite. Two, swelling begins immediately. Three, victims experience nausea, vomiting, excruciating stomach pains and cramping. Fourth, the liver and kidneys are damaged, can no longer filter toxins, resulting in extreme tenderness in the lower abdominal area. Fifth, hemorrhaging occurs in the form of nosebleeds or bleeding from the mouth and the eyes. And sixth, the viper's venom is hemotoxic. It destroys the blood vessel, causing bleeding, especially where capillaries are close to the surface. A person usually dies from bleeding internally. A quick death from a viper's bite is unusual. Generally, the suffering is prolonged for two to four days. Now, what is the point? God is trying to tell us that suffering follows sin just as surely as night follows day. The devil, on the other hand, has tried to tell us and sell us on this idea that it's hard to be a Christian. Well, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, it is not the way that's difficult for the Christian Proverbs 13, 15 tells us the way of the transgressor is hard. And third, these serpents were deadly. We are told that many of the people of Israel died. But that's just like sin, isn't it? Sin kills. Because the soul that sins shall surely die. Now the same serpent that inflicts death is the same serpent that will tell you that God does not punish sin. But I want to tell you that there is a fiery, fatal, fearful punishment for those who die in their sin. Now some will immediately think or say, Oh, pastor, there you go talking about hell again. Well, whether you realize it or not, many, especially unbelievers, are often talking about hell. Have you ever thought about how often the word hell is used just in common everyday language? When calamity takes place, they say, all hell has broken loose. They'll talk about a difficult person as being someone that is hell to live with. If they had a bad experience, they went through hell. Athletes will talk about trying like hell to win a ball game. When someone is quick, he's moving like a bat out of hell. 
How many times have you heard this little nuances? A snowball's chance in hell. Raise hell. There will be hell to pay. Mad as hell. It hurts like hell until hell freezes over. Isn't it interesting that though the vast majority of Americans and some Christians no longer believe in hell, but they get upset when a preacher preaches about hell or just talks about it. Some of you may be uncomfortable right now. Well, I want to make it very plain. The Bible says that sin is a debt, and when a person has a debt, either the debt is paid or the debtor is punished. Your sin will either be paid by Christ or it will be punished in hell. Mark this down. Defiant sinners will always face the judgment of deadly serpents. We should all be aware of that, including our children. And third, considering your outline, the desperate situation. Listen again to verse 6. And many of the people of Israel died. That's putting it mildly. They're dropping like flies. Now keep in mind that we are talking of approximately three to four million people in a 12 square mile area. All of them have been bitten by poison serpents. There is no hospital, and even if there was, it wouldn't be big enough to hold all of the people. There are no doctors, and even if there were, there wouldn't be enough for all the patients. There's no anti-venom, there's no medicine, and even if there were, there wouldn't be enough to go around. Well, there is a tremendous thought that comes out of this passage, and that is, even though a situation may be desperate with God, it is never hopeless. Therefore, number four, considering your outline, the dynamic solution. Now, when you have been bitten by a snake, you can do one of two things. You can sit and die, or you can get up and do something about it. And that is exactly what some people did. Some took the three steps that every person has to take if he's going to be cured of the snake bite of sin and escape the fiery judgment of hell. First, there must be conviction. Verse 7 states, Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. No matter what else you do, until you get to the point in your life where you are willing to say, I have sinned, you cannot be saved. Secondly, there must be confession. The Lord went on to say, verse 7, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. True conviction is always followed by confession. In fact, confession not only follows conviction, but conviction really forces confession. And third, there must be contrition, that is repentance. The people went on to say, pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The final step is when you realize that your only hope is God. You see, these 
three steps always work together. With conviction, you acknowledge you have done wrong to yourself. With confession, you admit you have done wrong to others. And with contrition, you accept that you have been wrong before God. It is at that point that the Lord is then ready to move. And so five in your odd like consider the divine salvation. Incredibly, the cure for this problem is not a pill or a potion. It is a bronze serpent raised up on a pole. Now there are three things you need to see in this bronze serpent. First, the picture of guilt. Remember, the serpent symbolizes sin. Bronze in the Bible symbolizes judgment. Being lifted up on a pole symbolizes a curse. For the Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs upon a tree. Galatians 3.13. Now, do you notice something strange? The cure took the form. The cure took the form of that which caused the problem to begin with. It was a fiery serpent that bit them, but it was a bronze serpent that healed them. What does Scripture tell us? 2 Corinthians 5.21 states, For he made him, Jesus, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Secondly, the provision of God. Who came up with this salvation? Look at verse 8 again. Then the Lord said to Moses, the Lord said, salvation is totally God's idea and God's idea has never changed. The way people were saved here in the Old Testament is exactly the way people are saved in the New Testament. They were saved by looking to a Savior that had been provided by God. Third, the power of grace. I want you to see something about this wonderful salvation. And first of all, it was infallible. That is, everyone who looked lived. It was not just that they felt better, they got well. You see, in the Old Testament, we are told, look and live. In the New Testament, we are told, believe and be saved. Looking is to the eye what faith is to the heart. If you looked, you were guaranteed to live. And I want to tell you, if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are guaranteed to be saved. Romans 10, 13 tells us, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But notice, it was also individual. That is, everyone had to look for themselves. Nobody could look for anyone else. If you were bitten, and if you were going to be healed, you had to look for you. Now, anybody could be healed, but not everybody was healed because not everybody looked. But notice, it was also instantaneous. These people did not have to wait or pray or pay for the salvation. The moment you looked, became the instant you lived. Salvation is not a process. Salvation is a crisis where you meet Christ face to face and you look upon him with the eyes of faith and he in turn saves you by the power of grace. 
And finally, number five, consider the distinct stipulation. Now, there are two great lessons that we ought to learn about our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. First, how we are to be saved. And second, what we are to do after we are saved. So first, to be saved. Look to Jesus. Now think about it. The only stipulation on these people was simply to look. These Israelites could have tried all kinds of homemade remedies. They could have bathed their wounds with tears of remorse. They could have put on the ointment of religion. They could have bandaged themselves with good works. But you know what would have happened? Those snake bites of sin would have killed them. Listen, hear this well. The people who died did not die because they were bitten. They died because they did not look. And so second, after salvation, lift up Jesus. John 3.14 states, And as Moses lifted up the serpent to the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. If that be true, don't you agree with me? That we ought to be lifting up Jesus so that people might be saved? Let your imagination wander back with me just one last time. Think about this. Can you hear the sobbing and the wailing all over the camp? Every family has been hit. Eyes are red with weeping. Cheeks are blanched with fear. Lotions and potions have been applied. Herbs have been compounded. Medicines have been drunk. But people are dying by the hundreds and thousands. Everywhere you look, there are funerals and burials. And then all of a sudden, a shout splits the air like a knife through butter. A cure! A cure! A cure! People formerly bitten, formerly dying, are now running in and out from tent to tent, saying, look and live, look and live, look and live. And soon by the hundreds and then by the thousands, fevered, pain-wrecked, expiring snake victims are evacuated from tents to places where they can simply look and see that bronze snake on that high pole. And then... Everywhere, instantaneously, people are cured and people are saved. Do you want to be saved? Do you want your family and your friends saved? Isaiah 45, 22 says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. If you look to Jesus, who is God, you will be saved because just one look is all it took. Amen. Amen. The service is over. Let's go out into the world. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has given us marching orders. Go and lift Jesus higher and higher that the lost and the dying may see and be healed from the scourges of sin. Remember, it is Jesus that hung on that pole. Amen.